Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening on this warm spring weekend. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners and particularly gardeners that are going to plant tomatoes this weekend. Is it warm enough? Is the soil warm enough? That's the question we'll be taking a look at later on in the program. And uh, whether we say go, start planting, we'll hold that back just a little bit. More about tomatoes later because... A lot of people are waiting though, John, to find out, does John say it's all right to plant tomatoes this weekend? Sometimes there's not a definite yes or no, Uh, maybe, but I'm not going to chicken out of this one. So later, and in fact, very, 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 very shortly, because it's, I mean, we know it's going to be a hot and dry summer, a very hot and dry summer, and good gardeners are getting ready right now. And one of the key elements they're using to protect their garden, their plants, of course, is mulch. But where do you get mulch when you want more than just a a bag or two to spread over your uh, tomato plants and seedlings and things like that? We're going to talk very, very shortly to Chris Choate. Chris runs the Crafers Garden Centre and Landscape Supply Yard. And if you've never been into a garden, into a landscape supply yard, uh, you might be surprised at what's there. But we're more from Chris very, very shortly. Looking forward to that. Would you believe, John, last Monday I went and bought some mulch and did a bit of mulching. So I've... I'm a week behind, but I'm really fascinated to hear what Chris has got to say and I wonder whether I've done the right thing or not. Have you ever been to a landscape supply yard? I have not, no. Many people are familiar to walk into a garden centre or a supermarket, but they're frightened to go into a landscape supply yard because they don't know the language or Mm. they think they don't know the language. So stay tuned because Chris, I think, will put you at ease. Wonderful. I have two September ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. And if you've got a question you would like to put forward on mulch, if you've got a particular question about the sort of mulch, Chris might be able to answer that. The number is 1300 222 And of course, we'll get back into general talk about gardening with John Lamb. So if you'd like to jump in the queue, call now 1300 991 And we always love your comments on the text line 0467 991. Experienced gardeners are already taking action to protect their plants and their gardens from the hot weather that's coming our way during summer. And one of the most effective ways of using and and providing that protection, of course, is with mulching. Um, But what kind of mulch do you need? And when you need a reasonable quantity of mulch, where do you get it from? Let's talk to Chris Choate. He's the manager and owner of the uh, uh, Crafers Garden Centre and Landscape Supply Yard. And uh, let me say good morning to you, Chris. And and, and in saying good morning, I realise it's Saturday morning. You're probably already getting a stream of customers coming through. So thank you for making yourself available this morning. Hey, no worries at all, John. Morning and morning to you too, Deb. It's a cracking day out there. Yes. No excuse not to be out in the garden this weekend, I don't reckon. Could you just give us a quick idea of the type of things that you can actually get if you go to a landscape supply yard? Yeah, absolutely. Look, firstly, I mean, you mentioned about people maybe being scared about coming to a landscape yard. Definitely, uh, you can uh, you can get rid of that thought. Um, it's uh, where 
where we're at, we're based uh, in, at the top of the mountain and in Crafers uh, in the Adelaide Hills. Um, we keep everything from uh, building sands and rubbles, gravels, um, soils, composts, mulches, garden bed uh, building materials, all that sort of thing. And obviously we've got a, a retail plant nursery here as well filled with, uh, you know, your seedlings and plants and trees and pots and everything you need to, uh, to make your garden beautiful. All so, right, and uh, these landscape supply yards are scattered across the suburbs and when you walk in there, there's these great big bins and they're all full of either the sand or the gravel or the mulch and the th- materials like that. Um, yep. So uh, there it is. You've got a bin full of material, mulch. Let's take mulch. Uh, <laughs> how do you get it home? <laughs> well, you've, you've got a couple of options. Uh, obviously, uh, we're equipped here with front-end loaders. Um, we invite people to come in with their utes or their trailers. Um, we can load up in bulk with the front-end loader. Um, we offer delivery service seven day a week, as most sand and metal yards will do. Um, so we can deliver to your door in a little tip truck um, and tip off in, in your driveway. Or, of course, we've got the option of bags as well too. So you can buy, uh, buy um, your mulches and compost by the bag here or bag your own Yes, and getting uh, good quality uh, soil to fill up a raised garden bed, I think, is one of the issues we might come back to it. But let's say, take a look now at, at the, the the mulches. Um, there are a number of different kind of mulches. Just broadly, uh, uh, what are the, uh, I suppose, the qualities of a mulch that people yeah. should be looking for? Yeah, of course. Well, there's probably two main sorts of mulches uh, that, that we sell here, um, and again, most uh, most landscape yards will. You either got a composted type mulch, which would be something that's got a timber content um, to it, but then also blended through with an organic compost, um, and that will act as a feeder uh, as as well as um, you know the other benefits you get from mulch, keeping warmth and moisture in the in the soil and keeping weeds down, um, or you get a, a straight um, sort of like a shredded timber type um, or leaf type mulch which doesn't have that compost content to it um, but is still great for um, you know for reducing your water bills and um, you know and, and keeping the weeds down around the garden. All right and so uh, as you mentioned there's a, what I say either a soft mulch or a hard mulch a soft mulch yeah, uh, yep. breaks down so um, where would you use your soft mulches generally? Uh, yeah, so your your soft mulches, you're going to be using those around, um, you know, perhaps more your your ornamentals, your your flowering, your roses, and that sort of thing. Um, they'll they'll always love that extra little bit of nutrient getting put into the soil. Um, and then maybe your your harder mulches, you know, we would recommend if you're using them, probably more around like your your shrub type areas, um, you know that you want to try and keep that maintenance down, uh, you know, with uh, with weeding and, and, and the likes. All right, say fruit trees. Would you use a soft mulch or a hard a hard mulch or doesn't... Uh- yeah, look, it probably it probably doesn't particularly matter. I personally would, would use a soft mulch, uh, something that's uh, as that compost breaks down, it's going to feed that uh, feed that soil and in turn feed the um, you know feed the tree. Yeah, so let's uh, run down through uh, uh, some of the the main types of mulches. Uh, different garden uh, landscape suppliers probably have different names, but probably uh, uh, the most popular and widely used one is one just simply called People's Choice. Uh, I know that's available at a number of supply yards. Uh, What is a People's Choice mulch uh, and where would you use it? 
Yeah, sure. So um, up up here at Crafers, we keep the Gardener's Choice Mulch, which is made by Jefferies, which is a very well-known uh, um, supplier of, of mulches and, and composts and soils in South Australia. Been around for a, a gazillion years. Um, there, uh, that Gardener's Choice is a probably what we would describe as a medium-grade. Um, mulch. It's very natural in, in looking um, and that's actually made up from uh, from tree prunings and, and lopping so uh, um, and, and shredded down to a size where it's not too bulky um, and again I, I would be using that uh, you can use it in, right across your garden um, but I would be using it around your, your shrubs and your general your general garden beds right. or a product and, like and that. that gardener's choice uh, does that mm. have compost with it or it's just a, a straight uh, mulch to it sort of does have a small composted uh, content to it but not perhaps as rich as something like your um, uh, cottage mulch um, through peat soils or Jeffrey's recover or um, uh, forest mulch or, um, or or that sort of product. All right you mentioned forest, forest mulch and uh, mm. that's a fairly popular one what's, uh, what's, yeah. uh, what's out there in terms of forest mulch? Yeah, so so forest mulch um, again. It's it's made from um, you know from leftover tree prunings and, and and loppings. And these companies do a great job of taking that uh, that recycled green waste and actually turning it into something that you can use in your garden. Um, but it's it's a much finer mulch, so it will break down a little bit quicker uh, than your than your medium grade. Uh, so for people who love mulching, that's that's great. <laughs> you get out in the garden a little bit more. It does have to be replaced a little bit more often. Um, but again, with it breaking down a bit quicker it's going to feed that um, feed that soil and feed those plants you often have arborists working in uh, across the, the suburbs and uh, they are chopping down and, and lopping and, and then they have their great big munching up machines and, and they hog mm. up all the material and there's this yep. great big pile of green mulchy type material um, yeah. is that a use for mulch to use on the garden or are there uh, concerns? Uh, look, I think it's I think it's a good product for if again you were trying to keep uh, weeds down in, a, in if you had a large area, um, you know, like a couple of hundred square meters or something like that on a, on a property that you wanted to just try and keep those weeds down. Um, the only thing that I always pre-warn is any of those sorts of uh, mulches is you don't always know 100% what's in it. It could be, you know, they could have just mashed up some fresh eucalypt or blackberries or anything. So <laughs> obviously the last thing you want to uh, do is have blackberries uh, cropping up um, in your in your garden unless they're in a very confined space in a garden bed. <laughs> we'll, come back, we'll come back to some of the different mulches shortly, but uh, um, when you buy mulch, how do you buy it? Do you buy it by the weight or do you buy it... I mean, if you get a trailer load, uh, how do you work out how much is in a trailer load? Do you sell yeah. it by the yard or by the cubic metre or how, do you, sure. how does that work? Look, we sell it by the cubic yard, which is a bit of an, an antiquated uh, old measurement. It's, it's 0.76 of a cubic metre, um, which just so happens to be very roughly the internal dimensions of a single axle six by four trailer so <laughs> it's why it's why so many sand and metal yards still use that measurement um some of them have moved into the uh into the, the the current day and age and sell by the the half cubic meter bucket um but we find a half cubic meter bucket doesn't quite fill uh, fill a trailer oh, so, so if you uh, go up and say i want a, a cubic yard of mulch 
Yep. That's uh, the quantity you'll get is basically a trailer load worth. That's yeah, that's correct. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And you can either, if you've got a trailer load, that's okay. You can do it yourself. But uh, yep. so if you only wanted just a small, say half a cubic yard, uh, yeah, half a cubic yard mm-hmm. of, of of mulch and delivered, is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, we uh, again, our trucks operate seven days a week, so uh, you know, we'll we'll deliver whatever and wherever, and you know, um, whichever quantities pe- people are after. So, because not everybody needs you know a full truckload of mulch to do uh, to do their garden, but obviously, even if you're buying a small amount of mulch um, uh, compared to buying it in bags, it is still cheaper generally even by the time you've paid for a, a for a delivery charge and then obviously you don't have the plastics as well the soft plastics to have to contend with so a little bit better uh, environmentally wish we'd had this conversation last week chris i yeah. bought a lot of those bags with a, a lot of the plastic garbage around them um yeah. look i've got some questions for you on the text line if you don't mind that text yeah, line is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. chris has to go soon he's running a busy uh, garden <laughs> center and landscape service at the moment so if you've got a question be very quick and call in on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. now does mulch pose a bushfire danger risk asks this person Oh, geez, that's a uh, it's it's a it's a tricky question. I look, it, obviously, no more than any extra, you know, leaf litter or um, you know, or, or plants or trees. I suppose that you've got around in in your garden. Probably the more woodier ones, I guess, are probably going to be more likely to be, um, you know, ignitable. Um, so your, your heavier mulches, but I would say that it would be fairly fairly difficult to uh, to ignite a, com- a, a composted mulch it would, uh, you know and if uh, if you if you're that concerned and if the fire's that close you should probably be out of the home by that stage yeah, anyway yeah. so would, regardless would, of your mulch I would think, yeah <laughs> yeah um, yep. juliet mclaren vale says what mulch is best for native gardens Sure. Again, natives can sometimes be a little bit funny about having too much compost around them. You know, a lot of natives are used to just growing in, in, in plain sandy soil with, with zero love. So um, we would always recommend a, a non-composted mulch uh, for your natives. So uh, products like your Gardener's Choice, which we spoke about before, or graded bark or landscape chip, a few of those sorts of products. Uh, that's what we always recommend um, yeah, for your natives. Okay. And uh, Tansy in Kaipo says, you implied that too much eucalyptus could be a problem. Why so? Uh, well, I guess it can be quite a... Um, for lack of a better word, a bit, a bit of a hot product once it's um, once it's been it's been mulched up. Um, all of the mulches that we sell here come from uh, from manufacturers that it takes around about three months for them uh, you know, plus to actually make the compost and to make the actual mulch material. So it gets that time to actually break down and take that. Um, take that initial heat out of the product. If you got that up too close up against plants, you know you, you can damage your, your plants. So yes, and I always got to be very, very careful with that. Yeah, and people sort of buying that kind of fresh mulch. I think uh, the best thing they can do is is leave it alone for a while, turn it over two or three times so that it, the hostilities go, the heat goes, and uh, then you can come back to it. You've got more. I've got one caller quickly, John, before Chris has to go and answer those phones that we can hear ringing in the background. <laughs> Jane in Sterling, good morning. Um, good morning. I think you've just answered my question. A freshly chipped pine mulch, how long should I leave it before putting it in the garden? 
Yeah, I, I don't know that exact number to be honest with you, Jane. But you just want to um, just want to keep it uh, keep it turned over. I would be suggesting three to six months if it's just in a small pile that's not being accelerated in your own uh, in your own garden. But um, always just give a wide berth around your plants. I think that's mm-hmm. the that's the that's the real secret. Not pushing too close up against the trunks and the and the plants. And Chris, what do you mean by a wide berth? Because I've put all my <laughs> mulch out with <laughs> bark uh, bits. How far away? Uh, look, I, I always sort of use the dinner plate kind of theory. I may or may be wrong on that. There's probably some gardeners that are going to call see. me out on that. But I use the dinner plate theory and, um, and, and always have been when, John's we, uh, when we mulch around home. Okay, keen to ask. Thanks, Jane, for that question. John, <laughs> what's your view? Oh, absolutely, yes. That 15 centimetres, uh, uh, 15 centimetres out from the trunk, so a nice big dinner plate I think would be uh, very, very sensible. Um, we talked about the fact that you can buy mulch in, in, in whatever quantity you, you want, but what about pricing to give us an idea? Let's take the typical, your, your, your gardener's choice mulch, which is a, a mulch you could use on many parts of your garden. Um, if you, well, let's say a cubic yard, what, how much would you pay for a cubic yard of, of gardener's choice? Yeah, sure. So the gardener's choice uh, retails at $75 for your, for your cubic yard. Um, and that's probably a bit of a, a middle range uh, mulch there, and it's, obviously that's a quite a long lasting mulch as well. Yeah, uh, so, so there's you pay seventy five dollars. You think, well, that's a lot, but uh, that's got to be then a cubic yard is very different to a straight square yard. So, uh, yeah. a cu- how, how far? Let's say you're going to spread that about. Uh, uh, I suppose it depends on whether you're spreading in centimeters or inches. Do you spread in inches or centimeters? <laughs> Uh, we uh, we do both here, uh, John. We're, we're okay. bilingual. So you've got so, to put uh, uh, <laughs> four or five centimetres of mulch. Uh, yep. You've got a, a, a cubic yard. How much uh, coverage will you get? Sure. If you're going out at around that coverage, I would expect you'd be getting probably around about the 17 to 18 square metres of, um, of, of coverage. Oh, out so of, that's out of quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it depends on how densely populated the area is with plants, but be around about that mark. All right, and perhaps uh, it's well worth telling listeners that are thinking about uh, uh, buying some mulch that if you talk to the operators, uh, often you you have an operator there and and the people on the phone are really sort of spot on and they say, well, look, you tell us how many yards or whatever size and they'll figure it out for you and give you your calculation and all those. Uh, necessary uh, data. I'll know that for next year. <laughs> <laughs> we also, we also, Deb, um, we've got, uh, for people that come and buy their bags from us here, we've actually got a uh, program where we take the bags back as well. So if you feel, uh, if you've got the guilts going on a little bit, you're mm. welcome to come and drop them up here. That's very, very helpful. Is it, um, po- is it possible just to rock up and, and, and you open up your, your uh, uh, boot of your car and you've got some great big garbage bins, you know, 80 centre, uh, 80 litre uh, garbage <laughs> bins? Yeah. Uh, can you fill them up for them? Yeah, most certainly, John. Yep, no hassles at all there. We get people come in with buckets, bags, garbage bins. Some people just come in with a tarp in the boot of their car and shovel it in the boot. So, um, yeah, we're, uh, we're always happy to assist uh, getting it out and getting into the gardens however we can. What about pea straw? Do you sell pea straw? 
We do, yeah, absolutely. And peace straw is very, very popular up here. Uh, we sell a lot of it in the Adelaide Hills and a lot for uh, for veggie patches too, being that it's quite high in nitrogen. Um, so it's a it's a real real popular one. Uh, and around about eleven dollars for a full bale. Um, that's the uh, the the unplastic chaffed ones. Um, yeah, or we've got the uh, the finely chaffed peace straw as well here in in plastic bags for around the twenty dollar mark. I think. Okay, and I hope it's peace straw without white snails. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's probably a story for another show, John. Okay. Well, Chris, um, Steph is a big fan, says gardening made easy with Chris and his team at Crayfords to deal with the idiosyncrasies of gardening in the hills. Uh, but, look, thank you very much for joining us this morning. It's been very interesting. I can't believe I did my mulching the day before I found out we were going to be talking to you. Uh, but I'll know what to do next year. Thanks very much, Chris. Good on you, Deb. Thanks so much. And thanks so much, John. Chris Choate, owner-manager of Crafer's Garden Centre and Landscaping Services. Now, Scott from Gawler says, if you like your gardening, you haven't lived until you step into a landscape supply <laughs> yard. They are so helpful. Um, now, uh, this texter says... Ask if they sell the media for wicking beds. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to get that, that wick. It's a case for me that I hear, ah, you have the old wicking bed mix. You need to empty it out and get the all-new wicking bed mix at a metre squared, cheaper to buy the, the few tomatoes that will form, says this texter. Um, Michelle says, for people south of Adelaide, there is a fantastic place called SA Composters that have delicious compost and mulch. And Bucky says, look, a warning, I won't, I won't give the, the name out, Bucky, but says one of the mulches is now a bit like soil and it didn't used to be. Says we order a trailer load and sent it back. The mulch shown on the website, you need the old formula, the quite um, chunky mulch, which makes a lot of sense, Bucky. Thank you very much for that. And this person says, get in touch with local arborists, $50 for a large truck full. But I guess it depends how old those cuttings are. Yes, well, it's quite likely that that will be fresh material. And it then depends on, do you have the area to be able to leave it alone? And certainly the smart thing to do is if uh, you do have a, a heap there is to be able to spread that heap out. So instead of having a, one small heap, a small tall heap, uh, you can spread that out so you might only have a half a metre depth uh, of material and, and turn that over two or three times. That will dry it out very, very quickly. Wonderful. We are going to be getting back to your general talkback gardening calls in just a moment. So if you've got a question for John, please call in on 1300 891. Also later, we'll hear whether or not it's time to plant your tomatoes this weekend. And ask the question if you're ready for the heat ahead in your garden. And of course, I've still got two ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. So stay tuned for that. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And it's back to the phones. Kay from Joslin, you would like to net a fruit tree. Good morning. Which sort of tree? Uh, good morning, John and Deb. Uh, John, I'm just looking at my apricot tree and, and because I've had very few fruits uh, over the last couple of years, I thought, could I, could I net it now or is it just too silly to do it so soon? You're wanting to net it? Yep. Yes. Well, it depends. Uh, if so long as you put the net on so that uh, you, uh, I would hate, hate to think that you're just going to sort of throw the net over the tree. You're going to put some kind of structure and put the net over the structure? Well, no, John. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Then no. I would say don't do it yet. 
Um, right. Because right. Uh, what, the, the trees should be in, in full growth, putting on yes, uh, lots and yes. lots of new growth. It'll be very, very yes. soft. You put a mulching net, or put a, a net over yep. it, and you yep. get a windy day, and you'll probably uh, break a lot of the new stems, and you don't want that. Okay. Uh, so right. uh, wait until uh, you, uh, you can see the elongation of the stems. Probably that yep. won't be until maybe uh, sometime in November. And I think if you can wait until uh, uh, then and you can see the fruit and the fruit is uh, uh, starting to sort of size up uh, yep. at that stage, I think you'd be, it would be far more effective. Good. Yes, I just wonder. I thought it might have been too sort of weak, but I just am so keen to, to <laughs> make sure I get some fruit. Uh, but no, I see your reasoning and thank you very much for that. Thanks for calling in, Kay. Lovely to hear from you. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. John is in Port Pirie. John, you want to limit the height of your citrus trees? Yeah, they're about 10 foot high and I just they're out of reach and uh, just want to know what time would be the best time to cut the tops off them to get them back to a bit of manageable height. Yes, well, the, the plant is in strong growth at the moment, or it should be. And if you're going to do some uh, reorganisation, uh, do it now. Uh, with citrus, you'll find that uh, depending on how hard the harder you chop, the stronger the new growth will be. Um, so you can chop it back, and if you do then do nothing, it'll be back to the same size it was in t- probably two years. So chop it back to whatever you want to. Do that probably in the next two or three weeks, unless you're in a frost-growing area. Uh, what's the likelihood of frost there? Pretty low? Yeah, pretty low with the frost. Um, but um, like there's still fruit that I can't reach. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'm Okay, well, give it back. a chop back. But the important thing is you must be prepared then to tip prune often. You'll find that where you make a chop back, a cut back, a, a, a thick stem, it will come out with probably two or three new growths and they will be very vigorous. And when those growths are no more than about uh, 20, 25 centimetres long, take the tips out and do that often. Other, and what you'll then have is lots of smaller, shorter branches if you don't do that, you'll have a fewer but larger branches and you're back to where you started. Would I give them some sea salt and a bit of uh, rapid razor and stuff like that to just to I think look, w- just look after the tree, give it its normal nutrition. Your seaweed material yeah. is not a fertiliser. That'll just stimulate the soil. That's a good thing to do. Um, if you've got a healthy tree and it's putting on a lot of vigorous growth and you're going to cut it back, I'd say don't fertilise it um, for yeah. 12 months. But if it's stunted and it's not putting on much growth, a little bit of fertiliser often putting on a monthly, small quantity monthly, I think would be the best management uh, to carry out. All right. Thanks very much for that, John. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, Like John, John, (laughs) I've got a, a citrus. It's got one very long branch and it's right near where the fence is. Is it possible to pull that down and espalier it? Yeah, Can course. you do that? Yes, yes. Let, let the rest of the tree grow and have one espaliered branch? Well, yes. If Well, uh, definitely. Uh, and you don't have to make an espalier, but having it horizontal, it will slow down the growth. It won't become a longer branch. But what will happen is you'll then start to get a lot of vertical stems coming up 
and they will be very vigorous. And the smart thing then is to, when they're about 15 centimetres long, take the tips out. And you have to do that often during the growing season. Otherwise, you'll have all these little vertical branches and they'll be going for the sky and they'll forget about the fact that they're supposed to also produce flowers and fruit. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Kayleen is in Bellevue Heights. Good morning, Kayleen. Good morning, John Lamb and others. Um, Look, with this piece drawer having those small white snails in it, I was thinking of buying a, a bale now and putting it in one of those great big orange uh, garbage bags and leaving it in the sun. Would that kill the snails off and use it in about a month's time? Yeah, but you might be able to buy your bale and if there's no snails there. Um, so uh, are you going to buy from a garden centre? I haven't looked yet. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, most of the material that's sold by uh, garden centres, it's wrapped and uh, it's and often it's been chopped. You can either have it chopped or unchopped. But um, there are a lot of outlets where they're selling pea straw and it's not contaminated. And I think uh, just be aware. Uh, ask the people where you're buying your pea straw, uh, what guarantee can you give me that it's not contaminated with snails? And uh, they should be able to tell you where it comes from and uh, they can indicate the the risk of having white snails. But I think that it'll be quite possible for most people to be able to buy this their straw um, uh, without contamination. And I'm trying to get back, and I have to find the time to get back to the uh, uh, distributors of uh, uh, fodder stores. Uh, they sell, uh, they're the main sellers of bales of hay and just want to find out, are there any protocols? Are they organised enough to have some kind of uh, uh, protocols in place so that they buy and they can guarantee uh, uh, from a customer's point of view? And my feeling is that I think a lot of the problem is coming from those roadside stalls and places like that that uh, uh, don't really care about what they're selling. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, they probably do care about what they're selling, but uh, yeah, there's not the same kind of control or regulation over them. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kayleen. Appreciate that. Brett is in Moonter. Now, Brett, you've got a question about soil conditioning. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, how are you? We're well, thank you. Tell us the oh, problem good, there, uh, Brett. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um I've got a lot of ash accumulations from my fires um, that uh, I was just wondered, is it any good for your soil as a, a, a wetting agent um, to, or a fertiliser? Is it good for the garden to put uh, potash or ash uh, residue from my fires in the garden? Do you have a good service uh, to take away rubbish? Yes. Right, oh, that's where the ash should go. Don't so, put it on your garden. The ash right. is very, 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 very fine and it's very alkaline. 
And at right. Moonta, you've probably already got very alkaline soils, and if it's heavy mm. soil, uh, you're really going to have a drainage problem, an aeration problem. Um, it has a smidgen amount of potash in it, but certainly I wouldn't be sort of uh, using the ash because of the potash, and it's probably not in an available form anyway. So yeah. don't use it on the garden, I suppose, is what okay. I'm saying, Brett. Many people okay. uh, yeah. want to, but simply because it's there and they think, oh, it's a lovely resource, uh, I can't sort of bear to throw it away. But if you don't throw it away, you'll create problems for yourself. I see. But I'm also in a very sandy uh, situation here. Is that alkaline in a sandy soil? I don't know without testing it. You need to no. take either a uh, sample, take uh, little handfuls from all over your garden, put it together in a mm. bucket, mix it mix it all up, and then uh, take a small quantity of that soil, a half a cupful, to a garden centre, and they should be able to test the pH of that soil for you. I see. Annie, I just thought that it's being a sandy soil... It might be very hungry. No, and no, no, no. There's no good things about ash. <laughs> I, can, I, yeah, okay. I, I can only sort of say to you, Brett, don't do it. Okay, message understood. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Brett, for calling in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Well, you've had us in suspense for quite some time now, John. Soil temperature-wise, do we get the nod from John Lamb to plant our tomatoes this weekend? Soil temperatures need to be at 16 degrees before I suggest that you should plant your tomatoes with confidence. Many people can plant beforehand and they get good results but all I'm saying is that I like to not recommend planting until the soil is at 16 degrees. Now yesterday at Walkerville the soil temperature was 14 degrees and at uh, Gawler it was 15 degrees yet at Glenelg the soil temperature was 16 degrees. So that's a big variation. And I rang uh, uh, Jerry Charlton from Living Turf that provide the wonderful soil service information, soil temperature information. And he said there are a number of reasons for the variation, but one of the big things is soil types. If you've got sandy soil, it will be much warmer than heavy clay soil. Uh, the other factor that comes into it is location. If you have your garden and it's in full sun, in sandy soil, I'd say plant, because I bet your soil is over six, uh, 16 degrees and is likely to stay there. If, on the other hand, you have shaded areas and you've got clay soil or heavy soil, I'd say don't plant yet. Now, I spoke to Darren Ray just to do a double check and say, what's likely to happen? He said, John, soil temperatures are almost there. Uh, it's going to be a warm weekend. That will bump the temperatures up a little bit, but we're going to get a mild change during the week and they'll drop back probably below 16 again. And then later on, we'll get the warmer weather. And once we get that warmer weather, in the end of September, uh, temperatures are going to be there. So I would say that if you've got sandy soil or lots of sun, you can plant with a reasonable amount of confidence. 
And if you haven't, if you've got shade, don't do it yet. Wait a little bit until the, the, your soil temperatures are likely to be uh, uh, at that 16 degrees. Most important, though, regardless of whether it's going to be hot weather soon or not, when you put your plants in, it's what happens in the first couple of days after planting. The roots system has got to re-establish. And so shading your seedlings the day after for the next two or three days afterwards and if you haven't got shade cloth just an old sheet or something like that just shading the material the plant and stopping the sunlight causing transpiration of the leaves will mean that your seedlings will be uh, far more likely to succeed than if they are planted and then uh, they get hot weather on them and they transpire and, and go into stress. Okay, well there you have it. So you really need to work out what your garden soil is like. Yes, it's one um, of those, <laughs> yeah. this is not one size fits all, so I'm afraid uh, no. you need to know what kind of gardening conditions you've got yourself. Well, I don't know where Karen is, but he's saying it's not hot enough for tomatoes to go in. And on top of that, we will have first frost at night, which can't be good for tomatoes. Yes, I mean, OK, it's nice to get your, your tomatoes in, but wait, I think, until the soil, because 16 degrees, they're going to sit there and grow a little bit. If you wait till the temperature gets up to about 17 or 18 degrees, Bang. they power away. Yeah. But the only concern is that it's going to be, and Darren Ray is suggesting that October and November are going to be very hot. And there's quite likely we'll get heat waves in November, but temperatures into the 30s in October. And so uh, getting your plants well established as soon as you possibly can without going overboard and stressing the plant uh, or getting a stressed plant to, to start with, I think. So planting, uh, but protecting, getting them as well established, get them off to a good start. And you've got a healthy plant. So by the time the hot weather comes, you're in a better position to be able to shade your plant and it will survive because it's got a nice, big, healthy root system. Yes. Well, Lynn at Mo- I think I know your answer to this question says I have two metal above ground garden beds would the soil be warmer in them my thermometer says 20 oh yes okay well the thermometer says absolutely Uh, (laughs) and I I should be I mean I've been trying to sort of promote the use of thermometers it's only going to cost you $15 for a soil thermometer go to your garden centre if they haven't got it ask them to get you one buy one and use it and now's the time to make full use of it Mm. and if your soil temperature says 20 degrees go 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 (laughs) and Rossa Angiston says do you have a soil temperature for the hills Oh, I don't at this stage, and that's, uh, the, I mean, uh, before we had one for the Bureau, which, which was just the one, and they stopped doing it anyway, um, and that's the whole idea of having three different centres. My dilemma is we're putting this into the Good Gardening newsletter, but if you have uh, too much data... Uh, and you, uh, you can print it out and you can read it, but on a tablet or a, an iPhone or something like that, you can't read mm. the data. So it's how much data, because we want to be able to put uh, different locations at, at 10 centimetres and 20 centimetres and compare this week's temperatures with last week's temperatures and having average temperatures. That information is all mm. available from living turf, uh, but uh, it, it's how to be able to condense it so that it's readable yes. on an iPhone. And mm. is the, the big dilemma we're going through at the moment. Well, one would imagine it's probably cooler in the hills depending on your garden. Oh, absolutely, yes. yes yep. in, in terms of answering the question, yes, it's much cooler. 
two or three degrees difference. Great. Thank you, Ross. Now let's go back to the phones. Louise is in Flinders Park. Now, Louise, you're trying to manage a large tree as well. Which sort of tree? Oh, good morning, Deb and John. Yes, I have an alder, which is my property faces um, east-west. It's in the back, in the west part of my garden. Um, it's about, I reckon it's about 15, probably 15, maybe more metres high. Um, it was silly to plant it many years ago. It's about 25 years old. I didn't know enough about gardening then. Um, I'm trying to get my lawn back established and the people who are looking out helping me look after it, which haven't been too helpful, um, uh, have said that the tree is probably affecting it, but it's the criteria lawn. Anyway, so I want to trim it back a little bit. Um, I want to get my son-in-law there. I need to know when's the best time. I think I've heard you say that in uh, November, December. I don't know if that's correct. And it, it, as in, I don't know if I heard correctly, sorry. Um, and I need to know how to shape it and trim it so that it doesn't, it's taking over my backyard. So you've got this big older tree and you're trying to establish a lawn underneath it. Well, the lawn's been there for 30 years, but the tree's gone. <laughs> I've been here 30 years. Is the lawn surviving? The uh, do you have a, 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 a reasonable lawn? or? Well, no, it's gone off in the last three or four years. Um, and the people who are helping me with it, um, garden lawn people, are saying, well, it's your tree. Absolutely, and they're right. Uh, the bigger the tree is, the more root system it has, and depending on how you manage it. If you have that tree and you deep water it, it's more likely uh, its moisture-seeking roots will be well below the surface. And if you don't give it deep water, they'll come up to the surface and they'll compete with the lawn. And that sounds like what's happening. Uh, the likelihood of the lawn surviving when you've got uh, lots of roots near the surface uh, is, is, is mission impossible. Uh, tr just chopping the tree back is not going to solve your problem. Um, you need light and if you chop it back and you get more light shining onto the, light, onto the lawn, it's more likely to survive. Um, but you need to uh, uh, develop a new system where you're deep watering the tree. But this is going to take a number of years for it to re-establish its roots down deep and then uh, you need to water your lawn separately to make sure that uh, uh, you're not uh, stimulating the roots with the moisture you're putting on your tree. Uh, it's not an easy uh, solution. No, I'm it's not. It's turned into a bit of a problem um, for the tree and the lawn. Uh, when is the best time to ha I'm going to get my son-in-law to help me, I think. Um, it's a bit of a big job. When is the best time of the year to tr to cut it back? Has it come so into new leaf? Just come into new leaf? Yes, it has. Yeah, okay. Well, I certainly wouldn't be doing it now. It's going to... Do, it, it's producing leaves, and those leaves produce energy for the whole full season's growth. So if you chop it back now, you're going to give it a setback. Ideally, you need to chop it back probably late winter would be the best time. Okay, then. Okay, um, can I just trim the finer branches? They've spread out right across into the garden, just not branches, the finer, um, uh, the leaves, the leaf tips and all that sort of thing. If I just get someone with, um, my, uh, with a, well, they call Look, like a Louise, trimmer. we're talking about a but big, beautiful tree and, and a, a major issue. I would be much happier if you got somebody who can come and see and give advice. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to a, an arborist. 
ask your local garden centre, can they give you the name of a, a good local arborist who can come and look at your property? may cost you a couple of hundred dollars, but it'll be the best advice that you get. Louise, thank you for that. Roger is in Glenside. You've got a dying candle pine, Roger. Uh-oh. Oh, good morning, John and Deb. It's, uh, yeah, I've got some candle pines. One of them's developing dead areas, a dead area in it, which if I cut it out, it's going to look pretty awful. But I believe it's a mite that's causing it. Is there anything we can do about it? Yes, it's not a mite, it's a caterpillar. Um, you'll find that uh, it, it attacks the relatively mat- uh, mature, but the, the, the soft, newer uh, branches, it, it attacks the bark and lays its eggs there. Out comes uh, it's either a wasp or a beetle, and, and uh, it, it lays its eggs and it turns into a little caterpillar, and that caterpillar eats the bark and uh, it ring barks that particular branch, and so that branch dies and you get this dye back there. Um, there is no home garden chemical you can use because you don't know when the chemical when the uh, insects are coming in to lay their eggs and uh, uh, most of the chemicals are not effective on uh, 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 insects that uh, lay their eggs into the bark so um, the only sensible information I can give to you I think uh, is to look after the tree and, and try and get it to grow away from the problem. Most often, those kind of trees are on the boundary. They don't get watered. They don't get fertilised. They get ignored. Um, so get into use of deep watering your tree once a month during the warmer weather. Uh, actually give it some fertiliser and see if it can stimulate it into growth and uh, uh, that gives it some protection uh, against that kind of an insect. As for the hole, the dead area, I'm afraid that's what you've got uh, simply because uh, the tree has not been able to uh, survive that kind of an attack. An attack. Mm. Good. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Roger. Appreciate it. Well, I've got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away right now. If you've not won anything from our station in the last month, then call through on 1300 991. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. On the text line, which is 0467922891, Stephen in Highgate says the best thing we ever did was take out our massive 35-year-old Aldershot tree, now have a magnificent garden and lawn. So it really depends what you're after. I've got a big tree in my front yard I need an arborist to have a look at as well, John. So I'll be taking your advice on that. Uh, Patricia is in Summerton Park. Patricia, welcome. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Um, yeah, I've got um, a bit of a problem. All my blue... Beautiful bluebirds have come up, um, and some tomato plants. And one of them is about nearly twenty centimetres long. Um, uh, should I just leave them to carry on together, or try and move the tomatoes? Uh, Matricia, I, I lost the f- first part Blue of your story. Yeah, bluebells and oh. tomatoes. In uh, the yeah, same okay, bed. they're growing yes. together. Yeah, sorry for yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, it depends on how many and, uh, and how close together are they. Um, yeah, it's a bit hard to see, you know, with all the green from the blue, blue bells, but 
Um, I mean, I can still see the earth around them if I move them all around. But um, I just wondered if they survive there. I mean, they've come up on their own. I haven't planted them. I've got loads of them that are coming up. So which do you want um, to keep, the bluebells or the tomatoes? Oh, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I love the bluebells, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, no, I, I mean, your bluebills are going to sort of flower away and they'll die down uh, uh, probably uh, uh, before uh, we get well into summer and then the tomato plants can take over. But it's not good culture, I don't suppose. Um, <laughs> I think... Well, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it, it, Sorry. You, you can't have both. You can't eat you know, <laughs> cake and eat it too, can you? Simply because oh, if, you, if you leave your uh, bluebells there and you water it, they're going to take uh, feed away from your tomato. If you want to, you can try and keep it alive by watering the bluebells on the side away from the tomatoes, and then the tomatoes, you water them on the side away from the bluebells, and you uh, provide uh, some good extra fertilizer for your tomatoes, um, and uh, see whether you can't get the best of both worlds. Oh, okay, just sort of look after them. Yeah, I mean, it's quite likely that you, know, you might actually, I mean, you'll get enjoy your, your display of bluebells, but then uh, don't let them grow there next year. You might during uh, uh, autumn or during winter dig up the bluebells and move them away from where you want to put your tomatoes. <laughs> Thanks, Patricia. Good luck with that dilemma. Our winners of the ABC Gardening Australia magazine are Joe in Angerston and Regina in Inman Valley. Uh, lots of texts from you this morning. Thank you very much from them. We can't get to all of them, but certainly appreciate them. Uh, Nick on the soil temperatures from Jamestown asks, what time of the day are those soil temperatures taken? Oh, the average, uh, the living turf take the temperatures uh, about five or six times a day. And that's all sort of stuck in a computer. Mm. And the information I get is the average for that particular day. And I also then get the average for that particular week for mm. that particular site. It's brilliant. We'll be talking to Jerry a little bit about uh, soil temperatures and, and different type of soil types when we can fit him into the program. <laughs> Wonderful. We always have so many guests. Well, John, we are, as we... Uh, are experiencing around the state this weekend getting a taste of summer and we've been told by the Bureau of Meteorology this week the most recent long-range forecast predicts that from October to December most of Australia is three times more likely than usual to experience unusually high maximum temperatures. So what should we be thinking about right now to protect our gardens from the heat ahead? Yes, now is the time for action and it's pretty simple. I think there are three major factors. One is organic matter organic matter and digging it into the soil it holds onto the moisture and it also feeds your plants so organic matter into the soil and then organic matter on the soil acting as a mulch and the mulch not only stops the weeds from growing it keeps the soil temperatures cool and that's tremendously important in, in looking after uh, the root system of your plants. So it's organic matter on the soil, in the soil. The next thing is having an effective water system. If you've got a healthy plant and it's got a healthy root system and it's got adequate water, the likelihood of it being affected by hot weather is re relatively low. 
But when the temperatures get above 40 degrees consistently, then even moisture and organic matter won't protect your plants. That's when you need shade, some form of shade. Now, we've been talking a lot about planting your tomatoes. Think about planting your tomatoes, and you don't want to put out shade cloth or whatever. Um, Think about, can you plant your tomatoes where they get sun in the morning and shade in the afternoon? Might be a shady tree, might be the building or something like that. But think about the location of where you're growing, but think now about how you're going to protect your plants with shading. It's an element we haven't had to think about too much about, and particularly after years. the last two or yeah. three years, but it's this is the year to think very seriously about protecting your garden through some form of shade as well as the watering and the mulching and the organic matter in the soil. Mm, okay, so... Big things to think about for the spring and summer ahead if we want to keep our gardens healthy and productive. So, John, a bit of planning right now, having a look at doing a bit of measuring up and making the list before you head off to your garden centre. Yes, I'm sure that uh, we can still enjoy our gardens and still have a lovely garden at the end of this coming season uh, just by good gardening management. And on that matter, I'll just say, good gardening.